Please pray with me. Lord, open our minds and our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scripture is read and your word proclaimed, we may understand and apply the message you have for us today. Galatians 6, 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers. Amen. The word of the Lord. Before I come to our text this morning, I just wanted to give a brief update uh, about our visit with Evan Tinklenberg uh, last uh, week. Uh, we had a very busy weekend uh, with Evan and his wife, Kim. Uh, and uh, I wanted to say thank you to so many of you who uh, were able to participate in different ways, and especially in the congregational gathering we had with him after worship last Sunday. It was very helpful uh, in all sorts of ways. Um, we, uh, the council has some final details that we're still working through before we're prepared to make a, a, a recommendation, but we are aiming for a congregational meeting next Sunday, and so we wanted to call that meeting and, and let you know that that's coming. And in the meantime, between uh, uh, now and then, we would really welcome and invite any feedback from uh, you uh, about your experience with Evan or um, those opportunities that we had to interact uh, with him and uh, hear him preach. And so um, that's where things stand. And uh, look for more information, hopefully coming this week. And in the meantime, we'd really appreciate uh, your, your praying for, for us and, and uh, for him and his family. So for the past uh, three months or so, we've been studying this one book of the New Testament, uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we finally arrived at the end. Uh, in these final verses, Paul takes the pen uh, from the scribe in order to write a note in his own handwriting. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Why did he do this? You know, I, I think it was 
one simple way of showing that this letter really was for him, you know, like signing his name at the end. But as we think about this letter and what we've learned over this, you know, three plus months, what is most important? So if this is your first Sunday here, and you're wondering, oh, maybe I should have come next week when they were starting something new, you're here on the perfect Sunday, because here you get just the summary at the very end. Uh, Paul's own handwriting here is like bold type or, or underlining that's meant to get our attention and drive home several key points that he doesn't want his readers to miss. So what are those points? Well, there, there are three of them that I want to identify today. First, there's a warning. Throughout this series, we've seen that Paul is writing to this group of churches in the region of Galatia, what's modern-day Turkey, and he founded these churches on one of his missionary journeys, but after he left, new teachers arrived uh, who were confusing the Christians there about what it meant to follow Jesus. And so Paul ends with a warning about those teachers. Second, there's an invitation. Paul invites the Galatians and us to, to follow Jesus on the way of the cross. He identifies what's most central to the Christian faith the cross. And third, he gives an example. And the example is himself, a little maybe surprisingly, and in the marks of Jesus on his body. And so we'll, we want to talk about that as well. So let's look at each one of these. The warning, the invitation, and the example. And together, these verses help us to focus on what is most important. We hear Paul's warning in verses 12 and 13. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So as we've said, Paul is referring here to the teachers who were insisting that in order to be faith, a faithful follower of Jesus, the Gentile Christians needed to become more Jewish, especially the men, through circumcision. And there was nothing wrong with this Jewish tradition. God had given the circumcision command to Abraham as a sign of his covenant relationship, of God's covenant relationship with Abraham's family. The problem in Galatia, as we talked about, was that the Jewish teachers were insisting that faith in Jesus was insufficient for being a part of God's family. They were saying to the Gentile Christians uh, something like, we're so glad that you've put your faith in the Jewish Messiah, in Jesus. You know, you've come into the, the foyer of God's people. Now you've made it all the way into the family by keeping God's law. And so they made a distinction between those uh, who were kind of on the fringe uh, who were only trusting in Jesus, and those who were really on the inside, who were keeping the law. And Paul's response is no. Uh, the gospel is not, believe in Jesus and keep the law, and you will be saved. The gospel is, believe in Jesus, and you will be saved, and then live a life of grateful obedience for all that he's done for you. If we look closely and what Paul is warning about in these verses, there, there's more going on than what you might think at first glance. Because he identifies in these false teachers an, an attitude 
or, or a mindset that was driving them. That, that is really a perennial problem for us. Notice that he says three things about them. First, Paul identifies a pride in his opponents when he says that they want to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. To make a good show in the flesh is about much more uh, than what we do with our physical bodies, uh, though, though it could include that. For, the, for Paul, the flesh is about anything in this world that we latch onto in order to show uh, that we are worthy of respect, that we have a standing in the world, that we are smart enough or successful enough or good enough. Now, these are the things that we cling to for our security. Now, we try to make a good showing in the flesh in all sorts of ways, through our work or our relationships, or for some of us, our religious performance, which is what we see in Galatia. These religious teachers have made an idol out of their own doctrine and tradition, insisting that the, the only true Christians were the ones that did it their way. Now, this kind of pride is always popping up, uh, even in the church. But it's not just pride that Paul warns against here. There's also a, a fear in them that he identifies. His opponents, he says, are demanding that others follow their teaching in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're afraid of, of being harassed or, or mistreated because of the Christian message of the cross. It's not totally clear in the letter you know, who is doing the persecuting. It, it might be uh, Jewish synagogue leaders or Roman authorities, but the false teachers are, are trying, not going to disrupt the status quo of the Roman Empire. We know uh, that this was a danger. Uh, the Christian message of, of salvation by grace through faith led to the, the breaking of boundary lines down uh, between men and women, different ethnicities, different social classes, with even owners and slaves worshiping together in the same community. This is why Paul said earlier in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This was a radical message and a threat to powerful people for whom these distinctions were to their benefit. And so the false teachers, uh, they were prideful of what they could accomplish in the flesh. They were afraid of others and needed to prove themselves to them. And this led them to be controlling of those in their community. They were not just following their own convictions about the Christian life. They were seeking to control the whole community. Paul says that they desire to have you circumcised, circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They're not just concerned about their flesh. They need to control your flesh. When you're driven by, by pride or by fear, this is what happens. Other people become problems to be managed or controlled 
in order for you to feel safe. All of this shows why Paul had to write this letter and take the stand that he does. This conflict over the gospel is not just a matter of different opinions or interpretations of Christian practice. His warning about this attitude or, or mindset of pride and fear and control goes to the heart of what Jesus came to save us from. He came to save us not just from the things we do on the outside that we know are wrong, lying or stealing or committing adultery. He also came to save us from all the ways that we try to make a good showing in the flesh. These ways of living that, that might make us look kind of good, but if under the surface is this attitude of pride and fear, then we're not truly free. And you can see that in how you end up controlling others. But also repenting of the good things we do out of a desire to save ourselves, our, our boasting in the flesh. An old Puritan once put it like this, I have taken all my good deeds and all my bad deeds and have cast them together in a heap before the Lord and have fled from both to Jesus Christ. And in him, I have sweet peace. In other words, a Christian is someone who's no longer running from a relationship with God through bad deeds, you know, doing everything wrong, or trying to earn a relationship with God through good deeds, trying to do everything right. Instead, it's when you flee from both that you'll find peace. This brings us to our second point today, Paul's invitation. He warns the Galatians away from the way of the flesh in order to invite them back onto the way of the cross. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. What does this mean? It means that the invitation of the Christian life is to find our worth, our meaning, our security, not in our fleshly achievements, but in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. The invitation is to, to desire him, to boast in him, more than the other things to which we so often look to save us. This is what Paul means when he says that he will boast in nothing except the cross. Paul knew what it was like to live life trying to make a good showing in the flesh. He used to boast in his flesh about his own moral and, and religious accomplishments. Uh, in his letter to the Philippians, uh, he tells us about it. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul knew what it was like to make a good showing in the flesh, and he was pretty good at it. But in the gospel, he realizes that God had done for him on the cross what he could never do for himself. His boasting in the cross means that in Christ's weakness, he now finds his strength. In Christ's suffering, he finds his security. In Christ's death, he finds his life. If you're trusting in Christ, you can know that you're loved and accepted because of what he has done for you, dying for your sins. If at the center of your life is the God who makes himself weak for others and who exalts sacrificial suffering love, then this overturns every other value that we might produce based on our pride or our fear. If you believe that the Son of God had to die for your sins, then you won't be prideful. How, how could you be? He gave himself for you. But if you also believe that he chose to die for your sins, that he was willing to go to the cross for you, then you won't be fearful, but you'll be able to face difficulty and, and suffering with courage. And if you're humble and you're courageous, then you'll be a person who can be honest without being offensive. Recently wrote about a country song uh, in his column that uh, exalts life in small town America. And David French, who, who is a Christian, has a lot of uh, experience and appreciation for small town American life, but he also knows how uh, these small town homogenous communities can become destructive. And he knows this through his own family's experience uh, with having uh, adopted uh, multiracial children. And, uh, and how once you're on the outside of a community in which everyone agrees, uh, sometimes uh, it can be very destructive. Uh, his, his point is not really to criticize small towns, but to show how all American communities are in danger of the same thing. All American communities, including Madison, are becoming more homogenous politically and socially because of what journalists call the big sort. Uh, with uh, the big sort uh, identifies how uh, white rural America is becoming very, very red politically and diverse urban America very, very blue. And those distinctions are only increasing. And French says, that his experience in a small town where people became critical and cruel towards outsiders finally woke him up to something. And he said this, uh, it woke him up to this truth, that the measure of a community isn't how it treats insiders, but rather how it treats outsiders. It is easy, he says, to be kind to your friends and allies and when you experience that kindness, it can turn a small town community into something like a security blanket. This is where you belong. But when you experience cruelty, a small town can be something else entirely. What is your experience like if you're the only black or brown person in a sea of white? What is your experience if your household is a blue island in a red ocean or a red island in a blue ocean? How much grace is extended to you when you fall or stumble? 
How much tolerance do you experience when you disagree? That is the measure of a place, not its love for its favorite daughters or sons. Marsha Bosher sent me this article, and, and when she sent it, she said something I thought was profound. She said, you know, he's talking about small towns, but certainly this is true for the church as well, isn't it? The measure of a community isn't how it treats insiders. I think this is rather how it treats outsiders. I think this truth flows uh, from what Paul is saying here. And especially in verse 15, when he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. If you believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the life-changing reality into which all people are invited by faith into an intimate union and communion with God himself, the point is not that following this ritual practice counts for something or, or not doing it counts for something. The only thing that really counts for any of us is the death and resurrection of Jesus. When you boast in the cross, you discover the ultimate source of peace and mercy because it's not based on you. It's not based on your circumstances or your emotions or the attitude of anyone towards you. The cross of Christ is sufficient to bear the weight of your life. And when you know this for yourself, you can welcome others, you can show grace, no matter how different someone else may be from you. The gospel calls us away from all our self-salvation projects to find our rest in Christ. And in the end, Paul points to his own life and experience as the evidence of God's work. He makes himself the example. In verse 17, he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I think what Paul is basically saying here is something like, I'm, I'm done with this conversation. You know, I've written my letter. But if you want to see what it looks like to follow Jesus, I'm willing to make myself an example. In other words, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. In other words, Paul knows that the, the sacrificial love of Jesus is true, not just as a, a recipient of that love, but as one who has committed himself to loving others in a Christ-like way. And he knows that that always means suffering. In uh, the story of the New Testament, we, we know that he was beat, he was whipped, he was imprisoned, he was persecuted. Most commentators think that the marks of Jesus that he's talking about here are probably visible scars that could be seen by others. After 12 or more sermons on Galatians, I think you probably get that Salvation is by grace, through faith. But the grace that we're talking about, that is, that is the essence of the Christian faith, is not just a principle. It's a person. In the person and work of Jesus, God's grace is made manifest in the world in bodily form. Jesus didn't just teach a doctrine of grace. He lived grace. 
And if we know him, if we've been united to him by faith and his grace, then we will live grace too. His death and resurrection inaugurates a new creation in which grace reigns. Remember what Paul said in chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The promise that Christ lives in you is not a promise that you will have a life free from suffering and pain, emotionally or physically. The promise is that whatever you experience, you can have hope because Jesus knows what it's like to go into the grave and he came out the other side. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. As you learn to love God and love your neighbor, whatever heartache it may involve, you are living the new creation reality of God's love. It's not pretty, but it's real and it's lasting. Let me end with this. Uh, I, I love the picture of this reality that's given uh, by Marjorie Williams in her children's book, The Main character is this simple, and I've, I've used this illustration before. You'll remember that the, the main character is this simple uh, stuffed rabbit filled with sawdust and with ears lined with pink satin. And when the velveteen rabbit comes to his child's playroom, he feels inadequate next to the fancier mechanical toys, uh, who the story says were full of modern ideas and pretended they were real. The velveteen rabbit is confused uh, by the idea of what it means to be real and so the rabbit asked the oldest and the wisest of the toys, the skin horse, what is real? And the skin horse replies, real isn't how you are made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, the rabbit asks, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. By the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints, and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. Friends, this is the promise of the gospel. Because Jesus died for our sins, we can die to our sins. Because Jesus took up his cross once and for all for us, we can take up our cross daily and follow him. Because Jesus is alive and risen from the dead, we can love others as we have been loved. He is real, and we discover what it means to be real in him. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father, we do give you thanks uh, for the salvation that you have revealed to us and to the world in Christ. We look to him this morning, and we ask you to strip away uh, whatever pride and fear that tempts us today 
that we might boast only in the cross. Uh, we lift up that cross and we pray uh, that we would know its power in our lives and in our world, in our church, uh, that uh, Jesus would be exalted. And we pray in his name. Amen.